Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Every day there are countless books and articles that are published offering the key on how to make your business a success. It's easy to feel overwhelmed trying to keep up and run your business. That's why Deb Creer created the Business Power Hour. Keep up on the latest trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. Let the Business Power Hour do the heavy work for you. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today we're going to have so much fun. I can't wait to have this discussion. When I was reading about my guest, I was thinking, oh, oh, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is an extremely well-educated woman, especially to be as young as you are. Oh, holy schmoly. Um, but we are going to have so much fun today and have, but it's going to be a very serious discussion too. So please join me in welcoming Nahid Chore to our program today. Welcome, Nahid. Thank you. Thank you very much, Deborah. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. You know, we're, we really are going to have a great discussion today. So let me tell people just a little bit about you and then we'll just dive into this. So born to parents who met while working at the U.S. aid office in Pakistan, Nahid Chore grew up in Karachi and joined corporate life with Unilever right after getting her MBA. Since then, she has worked with companies including the little guys like the Hershey Company in a multiple award-winning career that spans Asia, Australia, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Even as she worked on creating the right stories, innovations, and strategies to shift mindsets, Nahid learned that many more values unite than separate people across geographies and cultures. In the last few years, Nahid has put that to use through her consulting business by asking questions that enable her clients to see new perspectives that empower them to resolve what seemed impossible. Her passion for gender bias in the workplace is based on her own experiences, as well as those of men and women she has mentored around the world. And the secret recipe is a mix of data and empathy to tell the right story and move mountains. Nahid is also the mother of four young global citizens aged 10 to 15, as well as a best-selling author, Adler certified coach, seasoned improviser, and adrenaline junkie. Holy schmoly! <laughs> And aside from anything else, you started doing this when you were, what, like 10? <laughs> Thank you. I haven't been called young in a very long time. It felt good. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if, if we told a guy he was young, he'd look at us like, really? Um, you know, and, and, but women are like, Thank you. <laughs> So you, you obviously have had a very varied and diverse and exciting career, but tell us a little bit more about how you got to, to right where you are today and how you discovered that this is your passion in life. Well, uh, Deb, when I look back, of course, it, it, was, a, it's, it was a winding road. Mm -hmm. um, I never thought actually that I would step outside of corporate, but mm -hmm. uh, that's how it happened uh, because I was fortunate enough to travel to different uh, places uh, mm -hmm. and work in different places around the world. Um, I was able to have exposure to different cultures and different people. And one mm -hmm. of the tasks that marketing people uh, are put to is to define the red thread that runs mm -hmm. through uh, projects mm -hmm. and products so that you can pick one up from one part of the world and right. put it in the other. And I started looking for that pattern across values and how people think and feel as well. Mm -hmm. and uh, and started to identify those. Um, and at the same time, there were people in, everywhere that I went where we would typically be assigned to mentor no, no matter what the company. Uh, and there were a couple of common areas of concern that used to keep coming up. When you fast forward to the end of 2015, uh, the Hershey company was going through a restructure and that's mm -hmm. when I left the organization. And uh, I set up my own organization thinking it would be one where I would tell the right story mm -hmm. and tell it right. And part, one part of that would be conventional marketing. So helping companies that were new to the region that mm -hmm. I'm in uh, enter the market. And the other part would be to find the patterns and tell the right story about gender bias in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Because I think one is about having a story, but then getting an eye roll because there is a kind of fatigue that mm -hmm. sets in around a lot of social issues. But the other is how to tell the story to ensure that the connection gets made. And I think that's what I'm so glad 
for because as a marketer i've i've actually i've realized that this is probably where i'm meant to be today mm-hmm. to make those connections and tell those stories and while it began in a very product specific and consumer centric area um i think this is where i'm meant to be and meant to end up i love it you know and we were talking before the program about gender bias and how we you know it, we we have obviously made steps forward and it's going to vary country by country and, and I definitely want to talk about that. But in so many ways, it's almost like it's still the 60s. Um, you know, when, when a woman is, uh, you know, especially maybe having to choose at a certain level of her career to, to go home and raise babies. You know, so many people are like, oh, that's horrible. That's awful. You know, you were on track to be the CEO of this company. How could you let us down? And, you know, and, and then, you know, but she's, she wants to have a family. Um, you know, and, and of course with men, they do get to, shall we say, have it both ways. Um, you know, they get to have the family. They get to have the high-powered career. And for women, that's just very difficult for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know, and and... And and some of those are obviously very good, but it's you know it, it is it's a challenge. Um, and and then you know you have issues where people are saying, well, we you know we we don't want those um, emotional women running our companies, um, you know. And and unfortunately, on occasion, women do tend to get a little teary. Sometimes it's just because we're madder than all get out, and it's cry or hit somebody, <laughs> you know, right? Um, but, you know, one of the trends that I've been seeing, especially here in the United States and talking with some of my other guests, is that we are, as companies, kind of embracing having leaders who are showing more emotion, who are showing empathy, care, and concern for their employees. And let's be honest, that's women. Yes. That is very true. Uh, I mean, there's so many points in there. Uh, that, that so exciting. I do that. Um, I, I toss a whole bunch <laughs> of things in. <laughs> right. So I, I mean, I just think just to Deb uh, talking about the last part and the challenge mm-hmm. and you said about women getting teary eyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think one, there are a couple of points in there that I'd like to uh, yeah, comment on. One is that you're, you're so right. It's like sometimes like we're sitting in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it and put it into perspective, this is the result of the uh, the disparity is 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 gender bias is is inherently unconscious bias, which goes mm-hmm. back to the days of hunter gatherers and right. caregivers, mm-hmm. um, and that's like five thousand years old. Mm-hmm. So if you take a look at that, and we're trying to set shift mindsets quite quickly, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I mean, yeah, you can understand why several thousand years might not go away that quickly, which doesn't make it right because Mm -hmm. people are more informed now. Mm -hmm. But you can understand why, uh, perhaps. Um, But I think the other thing that you touched on, which is which which actually goes smack into uh, a project that I'm currently working on, is um, women getting teary eyed and emotional. And I've often heard that that is one that I hear all around the world. Um, and the irony of it is that for myself, being a mother of four children, I have to stay calm and mm-hmm. composed at all times. And mm-hmm. then, you know, I'm actually uh, in, in a couple of appraisals, I've been told that I'm, I'm cold. Uh, so you, you, you're either, you know, you, you, right. you, you or uh, you're that B word. Uh, yes, yes, that we would. We won't swear on your show. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so I think uh, what is very clear is, and this is interesting. So, if you look at some of the studies that have been done on agile organizations around the world, organizational agility, there's a mix of behaviors that come together. One of those mixes uh, is a forward-driven, aggressive kind of approach and skills that primarily men bring. The mm-hmm. other set. And equal is the nurturing, caregiving, and allowing to show feelings and emotions in order to get to a common place um, where you can all come together and deliver a better proposition. Mm-hmm. Those are skills that women specifically bring right. uh, to the table. And uh, these are becoming more and more critical because, as you can see, as social issues especially become more and more important, similar mm-hmm. to what we're going through today, I think that side is going to be dialed mm-hmm. up. Uh, and the need for those behaviors are going to be dialed up. Now, I will share a shocking number that I was looking at. Um, There's a research that's been done based on 14 years of panel data on U.S. public firms. Mm -hmm. And it says that uh, a board that has categorically has confirmed that if a board has 
more women than men or, or is increasing the number of women in the mm-hmm. interest of diversity and inclusion stakeholders believe that the that the priorities of that board have shifted and are not focused on financial returns we're so fluffy it doesn't we're fluffy yes correct <laughs> even though and it's perception perception versus reality because mm-hmm. we know that companies with three or more women on boards mm-hmm. operate and provide better financial mm-hmm. returns we know that there is data there's plenty of data to support it mm-hmm. but the perception is so strong that stakeholders actually believe that uh, uh, you're fluffy to use mm-hmm. your word so um whole lot of things in there um that i guess need to be tackled one mm-hmm. step at a time right you know and and yeah i mean of course when you when you annoy stakeholders that that tends to be an issue um and so then things go backwards because they think well you know we we have to to switch back to make the stakeholders happy and of course maybe another solution would be let's get more women stakeholders <laughs> you know? um but you know it's it it really is something that i i just find very interesting um i left corporate america Oh gosh, almost 20 years ago. Um and so, you know, but but obviously I still see a lot of things and and you know and before I was in corporate America, I worked in nonprofits. And of course nonprofits many times are are uh have a, a lot of at least female employees. Um now it was interesting. I worked for the American Cancer Society in Colorado and our CEO and I believe our accounting person were the, I think the only two men in the building everybody else but and so it was it would the, the high level positions were the men mm-hmm. um you know now this was 25 years ago um and but the sad thing is a lot of that has not changed in 25 years that's that's very true so uh the latest study by mckinsey uh women in the workplace in 2019 shows a a comparison over the last 5 uh, years and this is corporate america mm-hmm. uh and it shows how actually at a c suite level the relative percentage of mm-hmm. women has grown which is mm-hmm. 24% but it's relative because there are very few women and you right. must have heard fewer women at a c suite level in fortune 500 than men named john um at the next level below though it's much worse so which means the succession planning mm. for women to go into c suite mm-hmm. uh is much uh much worse as insignificant progress mm-hmm. less than 5% so all available in the study that i just mentioned so mckinsey 2019 women in the workplace now part of the research and the work that we do is that the pattern that we found is that and i believe this is happening in california it's being driven in massachusetts new jersey um uh illinois i believe so so starting to but california primarily where you have to have women on the board mm-hmm. and what governments in the eu where a lot of women far more women are on boards uh, um have found is that a government policy or gender quotas are the best ways to ensure that there are women at the top because mm-hmm. on the one hand you're battling against a perception mm-hmm. it is biased it's a perception that if there are women on the board you know there won't be attention to finances mm-hmm. um and on the other hand you have women coming in and then proving and we've seen that across government posts as well in the recent mm-hmm. uh, pandemic and how mm-hmm. certain countries that were led by women have handled the pandemic right um so i think uh, and and that is actually why you've seen the growth also at the top in even in the us over, mm-hmm. over the over the past 5 years where uh, a policy has mandated that women need to be at the top mm-hmm. um and so so very important for both sides to step in and hold hands to grow women right. so that's the private sector the corporate sector mm-hmm. as well as the governments right you know and, and of course the tricky thing when you mandate anything is resentment and you know it did is did somebody get that position simply because um you know and and and, and the hard part is sometimes then we wonder at ourselves did we get that job just because um you know and and that's that's where it is really difficult and so you know the the key is obviously education communication you know letting them know okay it, yes this is a woman she was the best qualified she you know here is her qualifications all those various things and then she has to prove herself um you know and and unfortunately it might mean she has to it's it is a bigger job of proving herself because she has to continually do it um but you know it's it is something that you know it is kind of sad that you have to be told you have to do this but it was funny we were talking before the program about 
mask wearing during the pandemic. It seems to only work if you're told you have to do it. But then things change and they work. And then they become habit. You know, and, and that I think is, is the key is then you're looking at it and, and it, it no longer, you know, you're not looking on the, the employment form at that. Well, you shouldn't have it on there, you know, especially here in the United States. It shouldn't say male or female, but um, you know, you're, you're no longer looking specifically just for a woman or a certain ethnicity or something like that. We really are just hiring the best candidates. Absolutely. And, and, and just to your point, uh, in places where government policies have been driving women at the top, what they've learned is that because, as you rightly said, women lack confidence and, mm-hmm. and would already not know if they're good enough for the job, they overtrain for a job that mm-hmm. normally a man or a male counterpart would not would have been you know, right. okay with, with a certain level. So this approach actually weeds out the less qualified men and, and the women who come in are actually more qualified than you would expect them to right. be because that's just the way they mm-hmm. are. They would lack confidence to put them forward for mm-hmm. a role where they were fit for it and need to be mm-hmm. pushed. So they will <coughs> be put forward when they actually uh, uh, are, are more qualified. So, mm-hmm. so in a way, it helps weed out um, uh, the the uh, the worst. But you're right also because I think it's so important. Deb, you you hit the nail on the head that it has to become habit. But habit happens when something's happened over and over and over right. and over again. Uh, and I think they're growing pains. I mean, I, I think if, if the alternative is not to have any women, right, mm-hmm. that I would rather go with this area where right. I agree with you. I also sometimes have my concerns, but, you know, then let's learn on the journey mm-hmm. uh, and use those learnings to improve the process. But get to a place because we'll never have all the answers at the start of the journey, Mm -hmm. right? It's not a journey we've been on before. So I think it's really important to just start the journey Mm -hmm. and learn along the way. And, you know, yeah, there will be mistakes. Mm -hmm. And then you'll adapt and and, and move forward. And women adapt better. (laughs) Of course, that's purely a biased opinion. Uh You know, one of the things that, that I'm curious about is you have worked in many countries around the world is it is the, I mean I think this is a universal issue, but are there some countries that are better or worse? And especially you know the the countries um, you know where I'm I, I didn't say this at the start. You're located in Dubai, um, and you know some of the the Middle Eastern countries. You know there are some countries where you know women are just to, you know definitely thought of differently, um, and that's the culture. But what, you know, are, the, what's going on? You know, see there, I went rambling again. <laughs> Is there, let's go back to my first question. Are there countries that are doing really well at it? And then countries that are really struggling? I think there are, because as you said, it's a universal issue. I think every country is at a certain point uh, in the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are different stages and there would be developed markets. Um, like the US, Europe, Australia, mm-hmm. um, that are ahead because there's been knowledge. So not just mm-hmm. awareness. I think more important than awareness is acknowledgement because mm-hmm. you may be aware it's happening and be okay with right. it, but there's mm-hmm. acknowledgement mm-hmm. and there are actual measures that have been put into place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those countries by default are ahead, but I think the others will catch up because the journey mm-hmm. seems to be fairly similar once you get faster. Mm-hmm. What I have found across countries, um, and I've, I've written a short article about it on my um, LinkedIn profile also is this country culture dominate corporate culture. So mm-hmm. I've, I've lived and worked in different countries where I've worked with multinationals where at the head office there have been mm-hmm. brilliant gender balance policies but at a regional level the country culture kicks in which right. is uh, you know how do people behave how mm-hmm. you know how how, how are you supposed to behave in the environment and you uh, obviously by default you bring in those values into the workplace because you can't be one person in the workplace and another person outside. You, you mm-hmm. should have, you would have the same values. So, so definitely there are areas, countries where culturally women are um, uh, at a disadvantage for whatever reason, whether that is simply because they've been held back and seen as actually uh, uh, inferior for whatever reason, mm-hmm. or whether they've just been held back simply because of a lack of presence or education. Mm-hmm. Um, country culture does always dominate. Mm-hmm. Um, Dubai in particular, though, I will say has, um, I think, the, the area where it's overcome in these countries. So where that that kind of the, the missing link, I think, to, mm-hmm. to get from one side to the other happens is where leadership 
starts um it it uh, it acts by example mm-hmm. so uh, for example in the uae um many many women are being put forward by leadership and it took a few years mm-hmm. but minute women start to get prominent portfolios in the government mm-hmm. uh, i come from a country called pakistan and mm-hmm. uh, uh, in pakistan as well to so set aside what you hear in the media uh, we've had benazir bhutto who was mm-hmm. you know the first muslim prime minister female prime minister uh, twice over mm-hmm. uh, we've had women and we have women who are generals um you know who led armies who been standing presidents etc um and i find and you might find this trend also with the current pandemic the way government leaders are handling them when there are women in leadership government leadership mm-hmm. uh there is a shift in that country's mindsets over time why mm-hmm. because men and women both learn mm-hmm. to report into a senior woman right that's as simple as i would put it mm-hmm. when you get used to having a woman as your boss and mm-hmm. you know telling you the story at such a senior level at a presidential mm-hmm. or a prime minister level that has a knock on domino effect after a mm-hmm. period of time because you can grumble outside but you know you have to do it right. uh, so to your point um, yeah it may be painful but it that perception then becomes mm-hmm. a uh, that shifts and it becomes mm-hmm. a habit so so culturally absolutely mm-hmm. uh, country culture is typically dominate Uh, but wherever there are women at the top it happens that every country i think is on a journey mm-hmm. there's some who've acknowledged it and are well ahead and those are developed markets and then there are others developing markets mm-hmm. which will get there uh, but they're just in that mm-hmm. in that path right yeah it, it's interesting culture is just it's it's fascinating on how things work um i worked with a, a young woman several years ago and she was from iran and she had recently graduated from college she actually went to college here in the united states and um and, and she was sharing with me that in iran at that point it was very difficult for women to do business and and it was because of culture she could not go up and introduce herself to a man that was just not done she had to be introduced by another man um and you know and and this this may have changed this was several years ago but she she and so she was sharing that she actually worked with her uncle because that way you know he could do the introductions but for her technology was fabulous because there was linkedin and especially linkedin um because she was using it as a business tool she didn't have to be introduced by anybody or anything like that and so she could reach out she could connect with people and and you know it, it it took a mind shift for herself initially because she was used to having to be introduced so when she got past the oh okay i can do this myself but then and so she loved linkedin she just thought it was the greatest thing in the world because she there's there was no culture shall we say on linkedin um you know and and but that just you know that was and and, and she told me she said you know sadly she probably wouldn't be able to go home and truly be a business woman and and again this was several years ago because of the culture um you know and and but i you know i think things are changing um and and it's funny i think what the other thing that changes it you know not just the fact that people get used to reporting to a woman as boss all those various things when they see that a woman makes money <laughs> and is successful they're like oh okay this does work very true when they see that those um that the decisions and the actions being put in place and the decisions being taken are actually mm-hmm. yeah re- providing an ROI yes mm-hmm. absolutely that's when minds if if that woman gets a chance to mm-hmm. show them that absolutely mm-hmm. that's what ultimately uh, i hope will also change the stakeholder minds mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier the ones right. who think that women on the board right. uh, is a mark against them so yes yeah and and the other thing that is going to maybe make drastic changes who knows is the pandemic you know we've kind of touched on that a little bit and as we're recording this we're smack dab in the middle of it you know it's it's a variety of of um things going on around the world with total shutdowns partial shutdowns all sorts of things but a lot of people working from home and to me i think there's a benefit to having a a woman boss when you're working from home because you know men in in many occasions and you know and and obviously I'm stereotyping here are more of the want to look over your shoulder want to be more in control type of boss and that's obviously been successful 
you know, all these companies have been making lots of money. Um, but women tend to be more, you know what, what works for you? Is it better for you to be working at night than having to do this during the day? As long as you're getting your, your work done, hey, that's that's great. Um, you know, and, and I see, and of course, there's absolutely no way to, to know for sure at this point in time. I think a lot of companies, especially here in the U.S., are going to go, yeah, we liked people working from home. It saved us a lot of money. Why are we renting all of this space or owning these buildings or, you know, all of these various things? And again, as long as the work gets done, who really cares? Um, you know, it was difficult, obviously, at first for everybody around the world because it was, you're not going to work tomorrow. <laughs> you know, and so nobody had the right equipment. Nobody had any of those, you know, all of those things. So once all that got settled down, I think, you know, I think companies are going to, to figure out it's going to help. And, and then, you know, you toss in the fact that many children around the world, I think, are probably going to start digital learning. You know, be, people just aren't comfortable putting their kids back in schools and or schools aren't opening. I mean, we're really struggling with that here in Atlanta right now, trying to figure out what they're going to be doing. So I think this, you know, I mean, you always hate to say that there's good things to come out of a pandemic, but there are. I mean, you know, out of any anything that are bad, you have good things that come out. I think we're going to, you know, hopefully see a rise in more women managers, owners, executives. Yes, Dev, I think you're right in terms of uh, we, we're going to see a jump, I really hope, uh, in terms of people being more flexible and uh, managers being more flexible towards mm -hmm. employees, which is one of the primary reasons that women have to exit corporate life mm -hmm. in the first place what used to be corporate right. life. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, what is really alarming, and this is coming out throughout the world in the mm -hmm. US, UK, Canada, India, you name it, it's coming through, are two other areas. One is that the load of caregiving still remains the woman's right. responsibility. Mm -hmm. So when she's home, even if both parents or both mm -hmm. partners are working, it's still up to the woman who has to do the home learning mm -hmm. and, the, and who gets the bulk of the responsibility. The laundry, the cooking. Is, the, mm -hmm. Yes, correct. So even though they both may be at home and that's mm -hmm. creating a lot of extra pressure on women. The other thing is that there are far more women, and this is alarming, who are losing their jobs in, uh, in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's for a couple of reasons. One, anyway, women um, typically end up being at a lower level or having spent a shorter tenure in the mm -hmm. roles that they're in. This is a right. US-based mm -hmm. study. Uh, than their male counterparts. When women leave, again, survey of I think about 9,000 mm -hmm. people, and I'm happy to share the links with you afterwards to include, um, they take longer to find those jobs and they don't typically get the as well-paying jobs. In, the, in April alone in the US, more women lost jobs than were created for women between the end of the Great Recession 2009 and Feb 2020. Wiped out. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, yeah, so while in terms of employee and organizational culture, I think there'll be some positive shifts which would definitely benefit women as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for mindsets within the home or the older ones of, of caregiving uh, mm -hmm. and just the layoffs that are happening um, um, and why they're happening to shift. Mm -hmm. so. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is a weird time. It's going to be, you know, it'll be interesting six months to a year from now, I think that's how long it's going to take to to really start getting back to what might be normal, um, yes. you know. And and I mean, it, this is just it's 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 very strange, um, you know. And and but you know, assuming we don't have a pandemic situation, so the, you know, let's let's think of the world as being normal. How do we start? You know, you one of the things that I always ask my guests for for speaking points, and and you you said you know there's no corporate ladder for women, there, and and you know, and, and you mentioned the fact that that mid-level range is where the issue is. How do we really put our teeth into solving this problem? Yeah, so, so thank you for bringing that up. I'll just talk a little bit about it. I've, I've called it the hourglass effect. So mm -hmm. uh, basically, based on the data that we've got primarily out of the US, also the UK, Canada, uh, and we're looking at researches elsewhere as well in other countries, <coughs> we found that the primary years of career growth, which are usually typically in your 30s, are also the years which are typically the first years of caregiving. Right. And therefore, women lose out. Mm -hmm. uh, and until the children are at a much 
older age or at least you know middle school uh, they keep losing out and that's mm-hmm. perception driven again so mm-hmm. uh, you know they have to take on more caregiving duties they may need more flexible hours uh, they may not be able to take on as much travel as they used to and mm-hmm. that's a mark against them now the other factor which is only just being spoken about globally uh, and i think part of that is is us women ourselves at the start i said oh i'm so happy for be young and you said yes it's a woman thing is is called gendered ageism mm-hmm. so ageism hits women at the age of around 40 on average mm-hmm. um for men it's around 49 and what that means is that that is the age when your skill set counts for less than um your actual age your age starts mm. to play a role so there mm-hmm. are numbers uh where over the past 30 years in the US uh, cases based on ageism mm-hmm. have gone up for uh, close to about 18% for women and mm-hmm. have gone down by 15% for men so so that double whammy is why i said this is an hourglass effect because a corporate mm-hmm. ladder suggests you can keep climbing but there right. comes a point where it's so narrow that you're mm-hmm. forced out or you're stuck and the women who do get through have done so at an extreme personal cost versus mm-hmm. a male counterpart right. uh, typically a disproportionate cost uh, and when they do get through that part then it's more we know that about 74% of ceos are hired internally uh, so they do have a slightly easier relatively easier pathway but this is why i call it the hourglass effect it's not a corporate ladder mm-hmm. because that's where the squeeze happens mm-hmm. right You know, what struck me as we were talking about this is, you know, one of the the reasons why people say, "Oh, well we can't hire a woman" is hormones, right? You know, once a month women get cranky, we get pissy, we get whatever. And and then then we have ageism striking when about the point where there's menopause, so you don't have those hormones. This is just all very confusing. Um <laughs> and but it, 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 what it's really showing is people are in in some ways looking for any reason to not hire a woman um you know and and so it's you know it it is tricky um because there there's just so many factors and and obviously so many misperceptions i mean the hormone thing you know that's that's definitely one of the the things I mean, yeah there are you know there are women who sometimes you know have issues but sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with going what's going on in their body but you know if you can have a woman who has her monthly period as the queen <laughs> as a general as prime ministers all these various things well then you know you probably could have her as the manager of your department too oh yes absolutely and i think that comes from the the data and empathy uh point that we mentioned earlier which is that if you take a look at the data because all this is driven by bias so i think the men and women who would who would not select a woman who's mm-hmm. as skilled as a male counterpart mm-hmm. for the larger part i don't think anybody does it deliberately by the way it is what yeah. it is mm-hmm. so it just it's just it's an age old mm-hmm. thing um, so i think when you start looking at actual facts so for example if appraisals happen performance appraisals and uh examples in there are given but supported so so any any assessment is done supported by examples so over mm-hmm. the years at the different countries and different companies i worked with i'm sure i've rarely if ever got at a leadership level uh examples to support good or bad and i think that removes the objectivity mm-hmm. and objectivity removes bias sorry that mm-hmm. brings the objectivity and objectivity mm-hmm. removes bias so i think that's very important the second thing is i think the way this has worked at a um at a c suite level there needs to be some form of policy where the private and the government sector comes together to put because there are there are things mm-hmm. that have worked in the public sector to mm-hmm. bring in women we talk about prime ministers presidents generals uh there's something that's worked there Uh, mm-hmm. and maybe there's something we can learn uh, uh to bring to the private sector to to this level to ensure that that our class mm-hmm. uh, isn't that narrow uh and and not just uh, at the cost of women right you know and and i think one of the important things when we have women at those levels is that they still feel like they can be a woman a female um you know i i had uh, a guest on several weeks ago and we were talking about this because she works with people who are female breadwinners so they're they're the 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 mom in the house right. but they're also the primary breadwinner and so we talked about the fact that a lot of times when women get those higher levels they think they have to become a man 
Um, you know, look at how many women, and I was, you know, one of those who wore a suit. Uh, you know, now granted, I like pants better than than you know a dress. I mean, just in general, I'm you know, and and um, but you know, with the women wear the suit. You know, you mentioned that sometimes people thought that you were cold. Um, you know, I think women tend to you know, in in many cases, do that. We're trying to not show our emotions. Um, I've been told before um, when I was you know back in in the corporate world not to have pictures of my family, you know, in my office. <laughs> Um, you know, things like that. But then, you know, you look at, at the CEO's office and he's got his kid's soccer picture or whatever. I mean, you know, and, and so there's definitely that double standard there. But, you know, when women feel like we can still be, and, and I'm putting this in my little air quotes, feminine, that's a good thing. Um, you know, and, and um, because again, it, you know, we need to have that empathy, that caring, that concern in our companies. I think that's where we really lose employees in general is when they've got that hard ass boss who you know just is it and it doesn't matter if you know if what you know what sex the boss is you know the people are like i'm just not going to work for somebody like that i don't need to be micromanaged i want to have my own schedule i want to have pictures of my kids on my desk i mean all these various things i think as we're empowering employees more hopefully that means that we're going to see more women in charge also Yes, I mean, such incredibly important points in there. So one was the, when you said the pictures of a family, I immediately recalled uh, the incident of the BBC reporter, if you remember his son, uh, that, that man and his children came running and it was very cute, very mm-hmm. sweet. And quite a debate raged after that had that been a woman mm-hmm. and children had run into the room, would the reactions have been the same? It's right. like when a dad brings home-baked cookies to the park for the kids mm-hmm. and you know everybody goes, oh, what a caring dad, whereas mm-hmm. for a mom, it's supposed to be. So I agree. I think uh, uh, the other very important point is leadership. So because leadership behaviors so far have been masculine, uh, hence we automatically uh, get graded against a set of behaviors Mm -hmm. that are primarily masculine. Mm -hmm. It also gives rise to something called a queen bee syndrome. Have you you heard of the queen bee syndrome? No, but I can imagine what it's going to be. (laughs) So so the queen bee syndrome is is the mean girl syndrome from school. Mm -hmm. Um, And what that is, is it's uh, women who actually are, uh, uh, you know, holier than the Pope, more royal than the Queen, whatever you want to call it, but, right. but uh, show far more masculine behaviors, come mm-hmm. down hard on women and are, are bullying women more mm-hmm. in the workplace. And it comes out of typically out of a sense of uh, insecurity, I would say, that mm-hmm. because they feel the need to adhere to those right. masculine behaviors mm-hmm. and, and demonstrate them is what will help them keep climbing the ladder. And that is exactly as you said, it's, it's the absence of appropriate feminine behaviors at the top. Uh, and I think when we've had sufficient number of women leaders in corporate roles mm-hmm. who act as women, who, who if they're emotional, it's taken as a positive aspect mm-hmm. because it's bringing emotion to a proposition, a product or right. a service for a consumer where we do need that kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. I think that's when uh, uh, things will change. Mm-hmm. Um, right. There's some way to go yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and the good thing is, as we make those shifts, then men are more comfortable showing their softer side. I mean, for lack of a better way to say that, you know, to show that they're concerned about their employees, to put their kids' pictures on their desk, um, you know, all these various things. And so this is a, a good thing that we're doing this. Yes, it gives men permission as well. And, and I'll tell you, in my experience, uh, and in my team, I, uh, at one point, there were more men than women. But people I've talked to all over the world, uh, it's just everybody's learning, right? Men and women, that there's this bias that exists and, and they want to do away with it. But when I talked about data and empathy, uh, we do a series of, 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 of um, I won't go into that detail, um, of boot camps and online. But what we do use is we begin uh, through empathy. So what we, uh, we ask during our introductions, and it's a fantastic technique if you want to try it anywhere, is that when there are men in the room, we ask them to talk about one woman close to them, mm-hmm. a female close mm-hmm. to them, who has been affected. Because then for the rest of the boot camp, it becomes an unconscious right. benchmark. So mm-hmm. everybody's had experience or can think of um, a girlfriend or a partner or a spouse mm-hmm. who's been through this, or a sister, mm-hmm. or they're the children of a single mother, or, they're, uh, or they're, they have daughters themselves. Um, and this uh, brings 
It, it works. Empathy works. Uh, the other thing we found in in talking to people around the world and men around the world as well mm-hmm. is that there's also, I mean, they don't they feel they'll be kicked out of the boys' club, and this mm-hmm. does exist. This is not a right. hypothesis. They have to give this up their man card. Based. <laughs> correct, correct. So you know, if, if they look like they actually care about women or they're becoming emotional, etc., there's there's almost like a stigma to varying levels mm-hmm. across different countries, of course, um, against them. And you are so right. So when when people are allowed to show emotions mm-hmm. that normally would have been affiliated or associated with women. I think the workplace will become more open. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely going to be more agile, so more flexible. People will be able to talk about what they want to do. They'll be able to bring solutions to the mm-hmm. table and faster turnaround time for challenges like the pandemic that we are facing uh, because they'll be able to talk about it, be emotional, uh, such an important part. And, and that empathy will exist across the board in the organization. Right. It's interesting when a man cries, it captures your attention. Um, you know, I was, I was just a wee little thing when um, President Kennedy was shot. I mean, I, I really was just, you know, uh, not even a year old, maybe a year old. I was a little, you know, so certainly not aware of what was going on. But, you know, I've, I still remember seeing pictures, and you still see pictures of Walter, uh, Walter Cronkite, who was the burliest, manliest reporter, the tears. You know, that's what captured people's attention. They knew immediately something was very seriously wrong. Um, you know, and, and, and so when you see men show empathy and sympathy, it, it really does capture somebody's attention. Um, you know, and, and without going into any political discussion, one of the complaints here in the United States has been that President Trump hasn't shown that or certain governors and, and, and leaders. I mean, you know, and, and so that's kind of one of those things, too, is, you know, you, you have to show that sympathy for people. Um, you know, when President Bush was so upset after September 11th, that, that captured people's attention, um, you know, and, and so it's kind of interesting how when, when you bring emotion in with men, it's like, oh, my, we, we have to pay attention now. Very true. And and I guess I try to, I mean, I, if you ask me, I'll always try to find the silver lining in everything because um, everything's got a lesson that you can learn, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a really hard lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think anybody envies what, what the United States is going through right now in any way. And we hope you've come through it because it is a great nation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just the fact that if you have a leader who doesn't show the sort of empathy um, or sympathy, mm-hmm. uh, it's an implicit acknowledgement that that is an essential trait, which may not have been as visible before, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's an acknowledgement. So now you have the right to go back and say, right, you know, this is the quality or mm-hmm. this is the need we have anywhere where there is leadership, be mm-hmm. it government, be it corporate. Um, so, so on the flip side, perhaps that if there is an opportunity to start building that and for actively talking about it, uh, you know, it's not just a, a wussy uh, emotion uh, to have on the side, but actively could be built into uh, metrics, performance, uh, required skills. And I think it goes back to the point of what you said about masculine leadership. It could actually start changing that angle mm-hmm. a lot as well. Right. You know, and it's funny, it's it, my perception here in the United States of when England took really took notice of the pandemic was when the Queen went and did a national broadcast because she doesn't do those. Um, you know, so the fact that the Queen came and, and you know, did um, now I just like the Queen. I think that's, you know, it, you know but but, you know, when when she said this is something serious again, people went, oh, my gosh, we have to pay attention to this. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, and Jacinda in New Zealand, etc. So mm-hmm. now let's not forget the group of men and women behind them because right. there was a group. Oh, of, yes. Oh, yeah. Of, I'm of on every side. Mm-hmm. But uh, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that acknowledgement uh, of that kind of need for nurturing um, uh, abilities and, and, and those skills, again, referencing back in organizational education, Agility, the mm-hmm. set of skills that's required, a very mm-hmm. large part of them are what we call women right. skills or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them, which is around nurturing, you know, democracy, getting mm-hmm. everybody and in, inclusive approaches. Um, so I think, yeah, so when there are a lot more women at the top, I think we're, 
Mm-hmm. Hopefully going to see an improvement in performance as well. Right. It's about getting them there and keeping mm-hmm. them there and letting right. them be themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, one of the things is women typically are better at communicating things. Um, you know, I one of the companies I worked for had a, a male CEO and we were we were struggling. I mean, we had a lot of issues. And he wanted to hide in his office. You know, and, and, and I shouldn't say it that way. He was he was very, very busy. I mean, it wasn't hiding. He was being, he was trying to solve those problems, but he needed to be in front of his people. He needed to reassure them, you know, and, and, and he needed, again, he needed to almost show that emotion and say, here's what's going on. Um, you know, and, and I, I don't know that a woman in, in that position would have, you know, what they would have done, but it does seem to me, and, and again, anecdotally, that women are the better communicators during times like this. Without, yes, and uh, the trick is to not be too emotional, right? <laughs> Yes, yes, correct. Let me let me tell you a little story that I think your uh, listeners uh, will find very interesting. Your audience, um, I when I was working for one of the headquarters, one of the multinationals that's headquartered in a developed market. Mm-hmm. I was in the leadership team uh, in a developing market, mm-hmm. and I was told uh, that I have to be like a mother to the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was shocked because that was actually oh, yeah. mm-hmm. to be in my appraisal. And, and mm-hmm. I complained about it later to the, the head office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there was a little bit of an uproar, but uh, uh, country culture, again, dominating organizational mm-hmm. culture. Now, that was not said in any bad way. Uh, right. It just, uh, in a way, when I look back, uh, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should not be uh, said to any woman, I mean, what do you think mm-hmm. uh, am I here as a mother? But it acknowledged the nurturing capabilities, I think the communication capabilities, the ability to pull people together right. um, and uh, in, in a time of uh, challenge or crisis. Mm-hmm. Right. But it just shouldn't have been said. <laughs> you know? So, Well, there's a good thing that is, is an offshoot of all of this, and that's that many women you, me, <laughs> lots of women are just fed up with this. And we're going off and we're starting our own businesses. Talk about that. Talk about how many women are becoming entrepreneurs. Yes. So, so this huge spurt uh, in women entrepreneurship where, uh, and again, a number coming out of the U.S. where until 2019 about uh, in uh entrepreneurship sector growth, a CAGA growth over five years of about 9%, 21% was driven by women, so ahead of the average. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, the hourglass effect kicks in here. So a mm-hmm. lot of women entrepreneurs, uh, the average age of a woman entrepreneur is 40. That's mm-hmm. also the age when she's pushed out of the hour. Right. She realizes she's not going anywhere higher. Yeah. Or she's pushed up, one or, one or the other. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the, it's not necessarily a voluntary move to um, entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, these women are also extremely skilled. They've been mm-hmm. in a corporate area. They're extremely educated. So in the U.S. alone, the vast majority are masters, have a master's degree or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're seen as very creative. Uh, the, the products they put out, obviously, because of the skills mm-hmm. and experience they bring to the table, are very creative. And therefore, there's greater opportunity, and you'll see that happening here. So so what I do want to call out is that we see uh, the projection of women, you know, 20s, younger women. The average age of, a, of an entrepreneur is 40. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not 20 something. Uh, what's very critical for these women is uh, these women who are still, despite all the odds growing, and we know they have the odds stacked against mm-hmm. them. We know that they have relatively less access to finance. Their networks are weaker. All mm-hmm. of these are really important to building a strong business. Um, but they're still uh, going ahead and, and going against this. I think women have, a, and this is my personal feel, I think they have this inbuilt resilience um, where a vast majority of them are coming from caregiving roles. So mm-hmm. they need to be, you know, they need to take care not just of themselves, also mm-hmm. of their dependents. So there's this inbuilt resilience. Uh, I think it's uh, also a great uh, way for the younger generation that's moving in to actually see what's happening and how women are leading their own businesses. So mm-hmm. we talked about corporate and a lot of the leaders at the top are, are men. But, you know, as the women entrepreneurship, so leaders in women-owned businesses grow or women-owned businesses grow. I think that's a great 
parallel um, sector for younger women to look to uh, mm-hmm. to emulate the values that have actually grown those businesses mm-hmm. from the ground up. Now, right. what is very key, and I think this is where women come in as well uh, as as men and organizations, financial support for these women who turn mm-hmm. to entrepreneurship. This is very very critical. You can only be creative when you have the right fiscal policies in place. Mm-hmm. You have enough mm-hmm. money to start off your business. Uh, I think the Ramin Bank is uh, a great example of a blue collar example coming from Bangladesh um, mm-hmm. and the gentleman who set it up there was later he, he was awarded a Nobel prize as well uh, where he gave women in villages a little bit of money to set up their own in, with the mm-hmm. assumption that women will provide a return if they are entrusted and mm-hmm. sure enough it was it was a great success i know there's some private companies that are also partnering with him to on being an example mm-hmm. but we know that that um women entrepreneurship is growing despite the odds and women are leading the growth in that sector mm-hmm. at least in the US. Right. You know and and uh, I I love that that you know we are figuring out ways to specifically support women. Um you know I when I lived in Colorado I was part of a of an organization that it, and it was it, it was a business organization but we had a philanthropic part where we gave micro business loans to women in Africa. And you know these the when we say micro they're like five hundred dollars, which here in the United States you're like whatever. In Africa that was an annual budget, um, you know, and 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 these were typically to women who maybe their spouse had died, or in some circumstances you know there were women who had been raped, and and so they were immediately ostracized by their society, you know, all sorts of things like that. And so this this five hundred dollars made all the difference in the world to them. I mean, it really did keep them alive in, in many cases. And I mean, I just thought that was a phenomenal program to, to be a part of. It is a phenomenal program. And I would just ask the question that is there an opportunity within the U.S., for any given state or even any given city to pilot that exact right. one make it analogous whatever that 500 number equates mm-hmm. to here and then see what the returns mm-hmm. come through on that i think that's a really important project that probably needs to happen it would make a huge difference mm-hmm. to women entrepreneurs right right so as women what do we need to be doing about this um and that's like I a 10 hour we... conversation i know <laughs> <laughs> kind of going, prioritizing it by head. Um, I think the first part is acknowledgement. I think we need to acknowledge that this is not right and unfair. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know that there is fatigue around this conversation. There is fatigue a lot around a lot of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, they still need to be spoken about. They mm-hmm. do need to be talked about, number one. Um, so I think there needs to be an acknowledgement amongst women themselves that it's okay and it's right to talk about what's happening in the mm-hmm. workplace to them. They are not. It's not cribbing. A lot of women don't want to. I've spoken to women who said we don't want to talk about it because it looks like we're whining about mm-hmm. our lot. Well, you know what? You have the right to talk about mm-hmm. it because it is against you. The right. second thing, I think men must be a part of the solution. Men mm-hmm. have to be. A, men, right. just like women bring a set of skills to the mm-hmm. table, men bring a set of skills right. to the table. And so those men who you know, uh, you know, A, who, who, who obviously know or are close to some woman or female who has been affected or who see what's happening mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, they want to make a change. I see my son and, and he is so aware and, and he asked me about you know mm-hmm. uh, things that are happening that uh, mama why certain projects that I know that I don't understand that mm-hmm. I've lost out on sometimes in the past um, and he's, he's asked me he said mama was it because you're a woman and I said you know I, I don't know for sure mm-hmm. but I, I'm sure my son is not the only one right. uh, who thinks this which is great it's acknowledgement mm-hmm. it's an awareness mm-hmm. uh, but I think both men and women have to come to the table and women have to um, understand. Uh, the last thing I will say is the story has to be told right. So mm-hmm. it's the right story. Story mm-hmm. has to be told right. For example, let me give you an example. The refugee um, crisis, I know we're about to come to the end of our session, so I'll be very quick. Um, the Syrian refugee crisis, uh, there was there was fatigue around that conversation mm-hmm. because when you realize you can't, there is a reason for it. When you realize you can't make a difference, you're a drop in the ocean, you try not to look at it, you stop caring. Mm-hmm. However, that very tragic picture of that child who had washed up on the shore, the three-year-old, it created, created a wave of furor around the world. Why? Because it was empathy. You felt it. Mm-hmm. 
it could have been anybody you know right. it could have been god forbid your own child it mm-hmm. was it was, and i think that is where um that's really critical to tell the story right and that story gets told right when you bring in real people mm-hmm. on the ground it's not ivory tower speeches mm-hmm. when you actually go and get stories and testimonials um that are, that are visible mm-hmm. um to people who are influential enough to make the change so c suite leaders government policy makers but you show them uh, we know how powerful video is these stories mm-hmm. it's the right story it mm-hmm. needs to be told right you need to see what those people are going through so that mm-hmm. it can create um the empathy around it right right and as you mentioned it needs to be told right um you know that's the tricky thing is to make sure that it's not um exploitive or or you know that we're we're you know because people we don't like to to be told we have to feel bad um you know and and but if i come to that conclusion on my own that's very different um you know yes. it, it's kind of like all the facebook posts that say you know you you won't forward this because i'm like i won't forward it because i just don't do that don't try and guilt me nice. into doing that um you know and and or you know things like that but but and and of course also that doesn't stick with me but when i've come to that conclusion on my own that should stick with me i mean you mentioned your son you know so maybe the next time he's going to remember what it was and think about it again and think now wait a minute is this going to happen to my sister you know we i know your kids are are young but at some point he's going to think is this going to happen to my wife or to my daughter hopefully by the time he has a wife and a daughter this is a non issue um you know and and you know it's it's always I always think you know when when we can get rid of the terms describing things you know like when we say the the first black uh college president that happened a little bit you know the first female this the first yes. you know when we stop having to use those descriptors that to me is when we're successful um because it's like oh okay whatever um you know and 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 that's i'm probably not going to be alive when that happens i mean it's just as you said this takes time so i think the big thing is we just have to remember we just have to keep chipping away at it um telling the stories letting people know what's going on very true very true and and to your point just to to wind up when it becomes the norm i mean you, what you said said she was down my spine in a good way that when you don't feel the need to qualify that statement when it's okay is when you know that things have really changed so right. yeah that day is going to come mhm yep well nahid oh Oh my gosh, this has been so much fun. See, this is why I set a timer because I could just keep talking about this and it's almost dinner time for you. So, <laughs> on a Friday as we're recording this. So, you know, you're you're done for the day. Um, tell us a little bit about your company and what you do. Um, so my company is called I Will Global Consulting and what we do is to actually find patterns that haven't been seen before mm-hmm. um and that's through insights and talking to consumers. Mm-hmm. um uh, and then share those with clients and while one part of that is around market entry strategy so mm-hmm. focusing on how companies can enter market set mm-hmm. up their propositions okay. uh set up their digital the other part is very much in focus part is around unconscious bias so beginning mm-hmm. from gender bias so identifying patterns that are running uh in an organization or within that sector and sharing it with company leaders who would want to make a shift uh mm-hmm. we bring that in in the format of employee engagement we believe that middle management is is pivotal to change mm-hmm. not top leadership middle management is what changing it and we do that through um uh, boot camps offline boot camps so they go back <laughs> on, on online uh but we do it in a way where there is there are specific metrics that need to be achieved mm-hmm. because back to the point that was mentioned earlier um it has to be kept being done in order to become a habit it mm-hmm. cannot be a one off so mm-hmm. uh, yeah Right. I love it. And again it's i will.global not .com .global. Um and and i will as and I'm looking on your website. So i will grow, i will solve, i will work, i will blog and i will consulting. Um and so you know it's it's great you've got lots of great resources there so I encourage people to check that out. How do they connect with you personally? Um you can reach out to us at info@iwill.global at okay. or at my personal email which is nahid n a h e e d @iwill.global and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Perfect. And you mentioned LinkedIn so that's probably a good place. Right. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. 
Well, Nahid, this really has been fascinating, um, you know, and, and, and I'll be honest, a little frustrating because things aren't moving as fast as, as they should be, according to me, um, you know, and, and, but they are moving. So that's good. It's just kind of like molasses, you know, we need to, and, and so maybe the pandemic will change things. I mean, who knows? Um, yes. But, but so we'll have to chat again in, in maybe six months to a year to see, you know, if there have been changes, what's going on in the world. Um, so I definitely hope that, that we can set that up. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to leave everyone with? Um, just, just about the, the telling the story, right. Really what I had said earlier, mm-hmm. that it isn't just telling the right story, but telling the story, right. So when you're talking to somebody to watch how they're reacting to how you're telling the story and mm-hmm. tailor it accordingly. And I think all of us, no need for in depth, but, but we can get that feeling because that is how you will shift mindsets. There's, there's just no other way. We other way. If it was just data, we know. So tell tell the story, but tell it right as well. But thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your show. Uh, it was fantastic, and I, I hope your audience uh, gets gets something out of this. Uh, uh, and I'm looking forward to connecting again at some point. I love it. I love it. We're going to have so much fun. And until then, I'm Deb Creer. I've been having an absolutely fascinating discussion with Nahid Chaudhary. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Tune in for our next program for even more trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. The Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer, is proud to be part of the C-Suite Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.